Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Biotech Podcast, where we illuminate life science career opportunities outside of academia through the experiences of those who have been there before. For updates about upcoming guests, follow us on social media and visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. This episode is part of the Boston Biotech Series, produced in collaboration with the Professional Development and Career Office of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. In this series, we talk with alumni who work in the Boston biotech ecosystem. If you are a Hopkins student, we encourage you to join the online Boston biotech community on the OneHop platform to connect with the podcast guests, as well as other JHU alumni who work in Boston. You can find the link on our website at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com or in the show notes. My name is Jenna Glatzer, and I'm joined here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Joe Varielli. Our guest today is Dr. Wei Cheng Chen. Wei is currently an Associate Director of Bioprocess Analytics in the Genome Medicine Unit at Sanofi. Before Sanofi, Wei held various positions at several biotech companies, including Biogen, Flexion Therapeutics, and Solid Biosciences. Previously, he was a research fellow and PhD student in the Institute of Nanobiotechnology at Hopkins, developing high-throughput screening assays for cellular features associated with epithelial mesenchymal transition in cancer. He received his PhD from Hopkins in chemical and biomolecular engineering in the lab of Dr. Dennis Wirtz. Wei, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's my honor to be here. So first, can you tell us a little bit about your work at Sanofi, specifically what the Genome Medicine Unit does? Yeah, sure. So Genomic Medicine Unit at Sanofi was established end of last year. So our commitment and the mission is to develop the first in-class and the best in-class cell and gene therapy to really provide the therapeutic to fit the unmet need and also provide the best price to serve the patients. So that's really what our focus on. And my current role in that organization is to, as a group leader, to leading some analytical development activity to keep track of the process development and supporting manufacturing. So can you tell us a bit about your PhD work that you did at Hopkins? Uh, I know that you did some work that was patentable. Um, and it, what was that the intention from the beginning of the work? And, and was that something that you were looking for when entering grad school? Uh, actually, that was a surprise. And my graduate work in Dr. Dennis Ward's lab was actually focused on the high throughput assay. So th- this was a technology developed in our lab and by our own hands. That's a huge project, was led by a postdoc fellow at that time. Right now, I believe he's a research professor at Hopkins. So we have this microscopy-based assay and we also develop our own algorithm. So we basically automate the microscope and we can take multi-channel fluorescence images, screening the cell line, and with all different biomarker, and we have an algorithm to automatically process them. And each single cell, we give them 600 more parameters to understand their phenotype. And that's the power we start doing the data mining and understand the heterogeneity of the disease at a single cell level. Basically, that was the quick summary of my PhD thesis. Yeah, and high throughput assay development has been such a powerful tool in all aspects of biomedical research. And it seems like you've done some high throughput assay development within uh, industry, we could use that broad term. Can you tell us a bit about how high throughput assay development is done in industry and, and maybe some of the differences or similarities to how it's done in an academic research setting? 
Yeah, so this is actually a very good question. So I, I think with my academic experience, when we developed that whole technology and assay in the lab, basically just a couple of grad students and a postdoc fellow, and we really like with the limited resources and we do our best to understand how to interface the hardware with the software and build up our own algorithm software and characterize what we try to measure. But in industry, since we have limited time to achieve a project and we have a little bit more money than academic, so we want to apply the best tool and to really efficiently achieve that project. For example, if we want to screen a molecule for a candidate, see whether that can alter the cell phenotype, what they really want to do is a giant reagent vending machine, and you can type in what concentration you need, how many small molecules you're trying to screen. That machine will really prepare everything for you and deliver it out as a 96 well play, or even you know more number of well play in order to make your life much easier. So everything is automatic, right? In in industry that when you talk about high throughput, when we talk about pipetting, we talk about liquid transfer, everything's robot. And that's that's really help us efficiently to achieve that goal. And so part of your PhD work involved actually patenting some of your research. Uh, did you go into your PhD kind of knowing that you'd maybe want to go down that route of more translatable biotech or maybe actually working in biotech one day in industry? Actually, when I started with my PhD, I was still debating whether I'm going to stay in academic or whether I'll end up in the industry. And what really made up my mind was I was lucky enough, like my last year, last year of my PhD, my PI got this uh, exchange program. So I, I was very lucky to get selected and I had this chance to do kind of like summer internship in an institute in Belgium, so which is a nonprofit institute and they do a lot of cool technology development and they do 50-50 you know, ownership for all the patent with the industry. And that's a time really made me feel like I really want to enter the industry because Personally, I feel like I'm very mission-driven and focused, and I'm very interested in applicational science instead of really fundamental science. And that's really how drive me to make the decision after I defend my thesis. I told Dr. Dennis words that I really want to move into industry because that really fit to my strengths and my personal interests. And he agreed with it, and I got a lot of support from him. That's awesome. And so what was your experience like when you were ready to kind of move on from the lab and obtain your first position? Who did you reach out to? How many you know, positions did you apply for? I'm just curious, what, what was that process like for you getting that first job immediately out of PhD? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. So first, after I defended my thesis, First group people I reached out was the alumni from Dr. Dennis Words Lab because all those senior students were overlap with me and then we had a very close relationship. So, you know, just full of courtesy, I sent an email to them and say, hey, I just finished my thesis defense and 
I'm looking for job in industry. If you guys have any opportunity or know someone, you know, please let me know. I'm really happy to connect with them and tell them what we'd like to do and what's the opportunity out there. And I was lucky enough that the one of the senior students I work with very closely in my first year, he he's at MGM and he's a very good scientist, a very uh, very talented scientist at MGM right now. And he, when I email him, he emailed me back and say we have an opening in our group. If you don't mind coming into interview, I say of course I don't mind. Right? <laughs> yeah, and that's. That's when I realized the power of the Hopkins alumni. So when you reach out to them and don't be shy to reach out to them and tell them your background and tell them what you're looking for. And if people have those opportunity, I'm pretty sure they would be happy to take you. Yeah, we have a, a strong alumni network. So I think it's comforting for our listeners, hopefully, to hear that um, in many cases we can lean on that that alumni network in order to make those connections. So I know that as Jenna had mentioned, you've worked at a few smaller biotech companies in Flexion and Solid Biosciences, but you've also worked in large biotech and pharma for Biogen and where you are now in Sanofi. Can you tell us maybe some of the fundamental differences between how work is done and maybe the uh, pace of the work um, that's done at, at small biotech versus a large biotech? That's a very, very good question. Um, I think in general, I think the pace in industry is pretty, pretty fast, especially right now we're talking about novel therapeutic development like cell and gene therapy. Everybody is competing their speed. So I think the pace is really, really fast, but overall the fundamental differences between small company and a large company, I can see smaller company, a lot of time you have to wear multiple different hats, right? In a large company, they have very well-established lab. They have very well-established system and a process to go through um, whatever you need to do for your day-to-day job. Even simple things like ordering reagent, you know, ordering instrument, a lot of things already in place. And they have a lot of people to support you on that, which you don't have to worry about it. But for small companies, sometimes we're talking about 50 people only like 70 people company, their finance department might only have just one person, right? So that person has to take care of all the, all the ordering from different departments. A lot of times she has to do the budgeting and all, all the different work. So that person has to wear a lot of hat and scientists in the lab also has to wear a lot of different hat as well because when you enter a lab, it might be an empty lab and you have to design where your instrument to be put and whether that fit into your biosafety requirement, you know, you have to think about you streamline your day-to-day work, right? If you are in a big company, they have health, health and safety officer, they can help you to identify how to dump the waste and how to design that. But in a small company, you, you don't have the luxury. It's kind of like forced learning all these different skills that you may have, unless you had experience maybe as a lab manager before, you may have never had to pick up earlier. Yeah, and a lot of that kind of experience, actually, you have to really do it in order to learn it. I don't think you can just learn it by reading book or something, because maybe different town might have a different requirement, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm curious, are 
kind of theme for this episode today is understanding a little bit more about like what the interview process is for different roles in biotech, specifically on the R&D side. So for anyone not familiar, this is like if you want to stay at the bench, if you are conducting experiments. So I'm curious first, if you're coming directly out of your PhD, what level of position, because the hierarchy um, for naming R&D roles can be a little confusing sometimes. So what positions would you be applying for directly in industry right out of your PhD? Yeah, that's actually another very good question. So what, right after I defend my thesis, I was so confused, right? So when I start looking for a job and, and I think I chose a very traditional route, right? I got my PhD. I consider myself as a scientist. So I want to be a scientist in biotech. Like some people might end up in venture capital. Some people might end up in regulatory. Those are probably a different routes, but I, I chose a very traditional route. But even it's a traditional route when I look online, look at different company, their titles are so diverse. Yeah. and very confused so i would say in general like the big company and pharma or big biotech like a biogen or mgen when you got your phd then you're considered scientists and bigger pharma like a pfizer or novartis even company like sanofi their phd level scientists can start as a senior scientist because they they're uh, scientists with only bachelor degree or master degree, they still call them scientists. They don't want to call them associate scientists. So they have scientists one, two, three, and depending on how, how many level your um, their structure is. So I would say in general, scientists or senior scientists will be a PhD level um, student to start with and particularly focus on the job description. It will always say the qualification. If you don't know if you didn't notice a PhD degree requirement in there, maybe in their structure or hierarchy, that's just a master degree with multiple year experience, but not necessarily a PhD level scientist. I think that's one of the things you can put attention on. And how do people typically move up within that hierarchy? I know sometimes some companies, it can be a little bit confusing, you know, do you need a postdoc? Do you do an industry postdoc? Do you do an academic postdoc? Then go. So how do you, I guess, for people that are applying and thinking about this problem, yeah, I guess, sorry, this is two questions. You know, Do you need a postdoc? Should that be academic or industry? And then on top of that, what is the process like for moving up these different positions in the R&D hierarchy? Yeah. So I personally, being a hiring manager multiple times, I never consider an academic postdoc as an industry experience mm -hmm. unless the, the project is very, very um, related to what I'm looking for or the certain skill set that's really specific skills that I'm looking for. Otherwise, I wouldn't consider because the environment is just so different. The way of working is also very different. That's why it's really hard for me to justify that experience and say two-year postdoc experience, that's considered two-year experience in industry. But people people might have different opinion, but that's just, you know, my my opinion. And I think a lot of time that people will in industry will agree with that. So oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I tried to no, answer no. the second question is how to move up to, you know, 
from scientists to senior scientists and principal scientists. I think it really depending on, I guess, time, how many, how much time you stay in the lab. And, and the second factor is how much, how much, how many things you achieve, right? What's your contribution? And also what's your role in that group? You, you may see people like only stay in a group for one year as scientists and that person immediately get promoted to senior scientist. And I believe because that person not only achieve a lot of projects in a very short time, but also demonstrate the leadership, right? How to um, mentor the associate scientists and help them achieve a certain goal within limited time. And everybody like to work with that person. That's why, you know, People in the management level see that person demonstrate the leadership and immediately promote this guy as a next level. So getting back to sort of breaking into that role, right? So maybe you've made a connection within the company or you've been connected via a recruiter and the company says that they want to interview you for a position. Can you give us a sense for generally how many interviews should someone expect to uh undergo in in a single company for a position? Um, Are most of these interviews for fit or are they technical interviews? And what are some other nuances of the process? Um, So I think when I started looking my first job, I I think the job market and industry definitely are very, very different uh, from what is is right now. And also, I want to say, depending on your immigration status as well. I was a foreign student. I was an international student. So the immigration status also kind of hold on my interview process a little bit when I was looking for my first job. But I would say uh, you brought up a very good point, right? So when you apply to the job yourself, also when you talk to the recruiter about a job, versus when you talk to someone you know, like an alumni or your friend about a job, I think the process would be really, really different, right? So I think for the recruiter, a lot of time, they want to make money recruiting you. That's why I think a lot of time, those positions they refer you to might not a great fit to your background. And a lot of time that might not really be something you wanted to do in the industry. And they just trying to match you with a company or match you with a position. That's it. And for the position, you apply yourself through company website. I believe you definitely find some of your interest in that position and that triggered you to apply. But oftentimes, if we're talking about a big company, you know, you with you're facing a lot, a lot of competitors, right? So and also the res, resume reviewing process is actually very different from different company. For Big Pharma, their recruiting process is, you know, when you submit the resume, the hiring manager can see it right away from their online system. But most of the time, the hiring manager doesn't have time to do that, right? It would just accumulate it from Monday to Friday and he start logging into the system and start seeing, oh, I I got 15 more resume to review. And that's why a lot of people will tell you they only take 30 seconds to, to look at your resume and determine whether you are a good fit or not, just because, you know, usually like accumulate to certain number of resume, they start reviewing it and then try to find the best they want to talk to. And that's why a lot of times when you apply, you won't even hear back from them within a week. 
unless you're really, really lucky, right? So that's a process, right? It takes time. So when you apply, take you a week or two weeks until you hear back from HR, not even hiring manager. So the other, the last option, you talk to alumni or talk to someone you know, you know, that really speed up the process because taking my best friend, the alumni from my lab, who referred me to Amgen at that time. So he told me to apply the position online, but for some reason I faced an IT challenge issue. I can't submit my resume online. And I call him. I say, I don't know what's going on, but I really want to apply this position. And on the phone, he told me, give me a couple of days, I'll figure it out. And after two days, he called me and said, don't worry about it. Hiring manager will call you next week. And I asked him, what's going on? He's like, I find out who the hiring manager is, and I put your resume directly on her desk. So she's going to call you next week because she just sent me an email and said she likes your resume. It turned out that hiring manager was a Hopkins alumni as well. So that's why she said, I really like Hopkins Connection. So I want to talk to this person in the first place. And so in the when you actually have the interview, when you go in to present for a group, what is the research presentation like? And what's the equivalent of it for, let's say, someone with an academic um, background? What's it most similar to? Um, I would encourage you to treat it as like your thesis defense, right? So I guess you have to be confident that people start talking to you, start recruiting you. There must be a reason for that. Right. Even though the project you did in your grad school is totally non-relevant, but you must have something attracted them. Like when I interviewed with Amgen, even my first job at Biogen, all my talk is my thesis talk, right? I only know how to do high throughput assays. And I present this microscopy assay, all my projects I've done in my PhD work, and they take it, right? They are also scientists, they're doing R&D. Even though they know your project is totally non-relevant to them, but they're looking for your skill set and they're looking for how you engage people when they ask you questions. How can you really convince those people or, you know, help them understand your work in a very simple words? And that's that's a skill set I think most of the time they're looking for. They might not understand your stem cell work, how you, you know differentiate the cells and all the cool science you've been doing in the PhD work. But when they ask the question, you are very nice respond to them and you made them understand the importance and your data within a second. That just make them believe that you are a good scientist, right? So it sounds like they, they are looking for something in the style of a thesis defense, but are they more focused on how you frame your research questions and outcomes or are they more focused on the methods that you implemented in the research and, and maybe how you implemented that method? Yeah, I see that uh, in general. Um, I think once you have a very nice story about your project, you presented it, that's probably the easiest way for people to take it on and start showing interest and follow your thought process and your troubleshooting process and understand your data. So I think that's probably the easiest way, but if not, and you have maybe scattered projects and you try to try to jump from one project to the other project, 
I would suggest you to put it like a case study or something, right? So even I have totally different non-relevant three projects I have accomplished in my PhD, but try to make it each case you have achieved something and clearly uh, demonstrate your skill set, clearly demonstrate or phrase the question you're trying to answer and clearly say, that's my experiment design and try to answer that question then that can really help people to understand. How long are the presentations typically? Typically it's one hour, one hour section. And then they will usually ask you to do maybe 45 to 15 minutes and save 10 to 15 minutes for Q&A. Thank you, Wei. Do you have any other suggestions or, or comments on the process that, that might help our listeners in, in doing their presentation? Uh, research presentation for an interview or or just tips on acing the interview in general? Yeah, I think overall, I think in terms of job search, uh, I would really encourage everybody to reach out to alumni or try to, you know, um, connect to your Hopkins network. And I do get a lot of benefit from first time I was looking for my job in the industry. Even now, my current position at Santa Fe our global have it turned out to be a Hopkins alumni as well. And that's also how we connected in my current role. So I really encourage you to connect with Hopkins alumni if you know anybody. And I think everybody's nice enough to really help alumni. And also our alumni network has a very great reputation in Boston area. You can see people are very, very successful in all the different companies. And yeah, we, of, oh, sorry. Oops, sorry. In terms of interview process, I also encourage you to. It it's a mutual, it's a mutual way, right? So, don't feel like I only trying to, you know, answer whatever question they ask, or they ask me, "Do you know this? Do you like this?" And you just answer that. Try to also ask a question that important to you and help yourself understand the company and the position, right? Because it's a mutual thing. You can't just fit into a position that you don't like. Eventually, I don't think that's gonna go very well. Those people have to like you and you have to like them as well because in the future, they might be your colleague. So that's the colleague you're gonna work with them day to day from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You might see them much more often than your family. So that's why, when you have questions, you have concern, you need to ask them as well. Not necessary to the position, but also, you know, presentation, direction. Like my interview at MGen, every I actually gave presentation four times. So it turned out like they I have many, many one-on-one, and a lot of people cannot make it. And that's why they schedule my interview four different times, and I have to give the same presentation, well, the same content, but I shaped my presentation four different times. And three of the time I gave it on the phone without seeing people. It's a, it's a very, very challenging process, but I was lucky enough that I transparently communicated with the hiring manager, right? So she told me like next Tuesday, you're gonna talk to this person who's the director of R&D in our department. I need to get his input on your candidacy in order to move forward to your next step. Then my question to her is, 
do I need to give a presentation? And she said, yes. And I say, you already know about my thesis, right? So which part do you think that person would be more interested? How do I shape it to make conversation more effective? And she gave me a lot of good input, right? So that's also the time I feel like if, if a hiring manager really think you're a good candidate, that person will also try to help you a little bit as well. Not necessarily, you know, fully support you and tell you, you you're going to be higher, but she also tried to make you look good, right? In, in front of those people, because if you gave a very bad presentation that wastes people's time and also doesn't make her look good in the company. Yeah, thank you for that insight. It It is important to know that sometimes the hiring managers can really be on your side because they're presenting you to the rest of the team. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wei, for really demonstrating the the power of a strong network. And we definitely encourage Hopkins students to join the online bio, Boston Biotech community on the OneHop platform if they're interested in connecting with um, both Wei, our other podcast guests, or as well as other JHU alumni who work in Boston. And thank you, Wei, for giving us tips on how to really ace that that research presentation and and other helpful tips related to interviewing at biotech companies. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow Hopkins Biotech Podcasts on social media at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for updates about upcoming guests. And visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I'm Joe Varielli. And I'm Jenna Glatzer. Thank you for listening. Thank you.